Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome down to the helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. Got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons, official podcast of uthdynasty.com. Got a big topic this week. We're already having a, a pre-show powwow about dynasty trading weaknesses. And let's face it, uh, you have your armor up. Uh, you have your strengths. But your weaknesses is really what can define you in terms of turning a great team and just to just a good team, turning a good team into a bad team. And really, we were just talking that it's the one dynasty activity that is open the longest typically in a given year. And if you're in an existing league, startup, anything, any environment, trading is ever present outside of a you know last four six weeks maybe of the season that has a trading deadline, but then it opens back up. So you might be in drafting season, you might be in lineup season and waiver season, but trading season is really the largest part of the year. And do want to remind folks, we got premium podcasts over 250 of them over at utsdynasty.com. You want to support the show uh, in lieu of advertising because we're going to run straight through a lot of this goodness talking about dynasty trading weaknesses. Go over to patreon.com slash uth, become a patron, support it for just a few bucks a month. Let us know that you appreciate what we do. And Katie, why don't you lead us off we're going to go through a lot of different points here. Everything is going to spur a discussion. And uh, we were just talking, this is really evergreen in the sense that the two of us six months ago would have had a different conversation because it's a very organic conversation because it's, it's a skill that we're always battling, honing on our own in our own leagues and constantly thinking about this subject. Yeah, absolutely. When you mentioned this subject, I got excited because I I really am a tactician and a strategist. That's what I love about dynasty fantasy football. I love trading and the art of trading is something that takes practice. It takes reps. It takes honing. And I remember when I first started playing dynasty in 2014, how awkward it felt to trade and how cautious I was. I didn't want to make the wrong move or make the wrong offer or uh, get screwed or whatever the case may be. I was a little bit timid, a little bit afraid. I was always looking for reassurance, asking other people their opinion of the trade. And I have learned through the years, not just from making my own mistakes, but from listening to you, from talking to you, talking and working with Tim as co-owners and, you know, working with other co-owners through the years. So, when you mentioned the subject, I wrote down this short list of 16 bullet points, and we'll start with the first one. The first one is, uh, I consider this a trading weakness. I see this in a lot of owners, but whether it's uh, a brand new league or a league that you've been in, just updating your trade bait and expecting others to come to you with offers, that is a weakness. That is the passive way. I'm not saying don't update your trade bait. 
but don't expect that to yield much crutch. I'm trying to say. Don't have it be a crutch. Don't have that as like the, that's almost like putting up a dating profile, right? And you expect everyone to come to you and you not looking at the other profiles, reaching out, saying hi or whatever. Or I guess it might be the equivalent of, you know, sitting in the corner of a bar and expecting everyone to come up to you. You know, that that's not probably how a lot of conversations start. It's a two way street. Um, And yeah, and frankly, I don't see a lot. I see plenty of people that use trade bait. They even put on there what they want and they still don't get deals done. And it could be fair and people could become, I have offered specifically what someone has put down in their trade bait and a de- and they have declined it and a deal has not gotten done. So yeah, offers speak. It's kind of like, what? what is it? Money talks and, uh, and BS walks. And in this in this sense, guess what? Guess what? Money is money is the offer. When you send an offer and someone sends you an offer, those are deals that can get done. Talking about subjects, or again, this can be constructive, but but yeah, think talking about players or deals or what are you looking for, all that type of stuff in a league chat, on email, text, whatever it is, those are not offers, and those officially cannot be accepted. So you have to actually put it on the platform and say accept or decline, and the other person clicks the button. That's how it works. Um, I collected some responses. I'll add some of my own. Uh, the first one, uh, this is from Jack Apples, said trading for my favorite players. And what I would say is definitely you want to make your dynasty team your own. And I think what the danger here and the potential weakness of this statement and how it could be interpreted is, you know, overpaying for your guys. And there definitely is some quicksand element there that you don't want to have. Uh, just basically, I want to get them no matter what. Frankly, the time to get them and pay, quote unquote, whatever it takes would be in a rookie draft to move up to get your guy. It would be in a startup draft, knowing what zone you have to get to to get your guy. Because a lot of time in an existing league, you got a marketplace of one that's going to be selling. And all of a sudden, you can't be too over your skis. It's kind of like going to a flea market, swap meet, car dealership, whatever. And it's like you just fall in love. And all of a sudden, they got you over a barrel because they know you got you hooked for the fishing analysis. Yeah. And that dovetails perfectly into one of my bullet points, which was make trades to improve your roster and ask yourself with each trade, does this improve my roster? Your favorite player may improve your roster or it may not. More often than not, it's you got a crush on that player for whatever reason, and you may not even need that depth. So, yes, fantasy football is all about having fun, absolutely. And I'm not saying don't go get your your favorite players, but I would do it subtly and not like you're sitting at a bar at closing time, last call, and there's only one more female in the room and you're the, you know, there's five or six other guys. They're all, you know, trying to get that one piece. Yep. That's a good point. Um, Another one from uh, Diablo Gatto says uh, trading just to trade. And I had a bunch of different people that said trading to trade. And that's one thing that with UTH subscribers, super fans, listeners that, that I talk about activity. I, I talk about being proactive, sending a bunch of offers. There's a lot of UTH methodology, if you will, into some of the mechanics of this. But I think a lot of people misinterpret that. That's when you have an objective. And we'll talk about this a lot in season because you have a small window. We'll be talking about a player on a Tuesday night 
and it may be action-oriented and time-sensitive to the next kickoff. That could be Thursday, Sunday, or Monday. And the point is, you have a clock then. And that's when, when you build up these skills, that's so important because you can be lazy and lollygag a little bit. The only real time in the offseason that you got to be precise with your timing is during a rookie draft, right? I mean, if someone's on the clock and you know that they're going to go 101 or 102, you're trying to trade into that spot, you don't have a ton of time. <laughs> the point is you have hours, minutes, whatever, uh, to let them know you're interested. But other than that, Everything is very spaced out. It's a marathon. If you want Stefan Diggs this week, next week, the week after, there's not a massive difference likely with many players and many spans of the year. So, so yeah, the trading just a trade, thinking you have to hit some allotment of, man, I haven't made a trade. Like right now, I don't think I've made a trade in about nine, 10 days. Is that a long time for me? Generally, yes. But that again, I've already done a lot of the heavy lifting, right? I mean, rookie draft times when you make a ton of trades, moving up, back, everyone's kind of dialed in. Now everything's static. So if you didn't make a move and a, a trade for a player four weeks ago, what's the difference with today? Not much. You probably already explored a lot of those angles of buy-sell that you're truly interested in across the cross-section of your leagues already. And then when things start changing in training camp and preseason and regular season, that's when the market becomes really liquid again because you got teams going different directions, player values going all over the place. But trading just to trade and say, ah, it's been a while, you know, I want to check that off my list with one of my leagues. I and having I've also heard something with oh inactive leagues. Let's let's prevent that by having it mandatory that everyone makes a trade within X amount of time periodically or whatever. Uh, I you know, I, I think you're going to be as active as you want to be as a dynasty owner, and that's sort of your thing. Uh, I don't think that's something that you should try to manage within the scope of your league settings. Yeah, and that goes along well with two of the points that I wrote down. One of them was don't feel pressure or feel like you have to trade. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Even if it may be a good deal, even gut if it gut may, check. Right. Even if it even if the trade calculator says it's a 10% win or whatever. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. And then the second one that that you know don't trade just to trade uh, that this fits in with is buy low and sell high. We hear that a lot, but what that means is buy low in guys that you believe in that are off season ADP shruggers and sell high on guys that you don't believe in that are overhyped and get the best value for them. It doesn't mean that every single player on your roster is for sale. You've got to keep your good players. You've got to keep your core. You want to win dynasty leagues. The, the whole point of making trades is to make your dynasty roster even better, to shore it up, to fix any weaknesses that you have. So the buy low and sell high doesn't mean that you're always gambling and always rolling the dice every single week and putting out offers. It means the guys that you believe in, you want to buy low on. The guys that you don't believe in, you want to sell high on. Yeah, and I think the sell high thing is is interesting. There used to be this mantra, maybe there still is. I just haven't heard it directly in a while. Is the whole like this player's value will never be higher? Well, I mean, basically, a lot of the first round of a startup draft can be viewed that way at any point in time, and. 
but that's where the good players are. And frankly, a lot of them, I think the overall, the dynasty startup community or you know, communal value, if you will, is, is getting smarter at the very top. I, I believe that. I look back five, 10 years, and there's a pretty big difference in sharpening up. You know, There's not quite as many first round, who's your avoid players in a startup draft? It's a little more, you know, it's a little more nuanced in giving that answer than it was 10 years ago. It's like, oh, that 28-year-old running back right there, boom. Just write it in, write it in in stone. Uh, and, and it was pretty simple. But I think the whole idea of, of selling high, it's okay to have a cross-section of your roster that is, de- quote-unquote, declining in market value. Those, those are guys that could be stalwarts in your lineup. And just because they're on, say, a three-year trajectory instead of a seven-year trajectory doesn't mean they don't have a great spot, especially if they're a falling, a falling asset, that you like them now, Next year, when they're 29 as a wide receiver, guess what? They're going to fall again, and you're going to like them as much, probably, because you liked them at 28. At 30, you might like them even more. So, so it doesn't mean you're running for the exit. So this whole, like, they're worth more now than they will be in a year, that's only a part of the conversation about a player and how they fit with your team and philosophy. Absolutely. Another one that I've got, and I mean, I, I like all these points. They're all very useful, but accepting less than fair market value because you're loaded at a certain position. We always say during rookie drafts and even in startup drafts, draft for best player available and trade for need. Just because you're loaded at a position, just because you got a great deal on XYZ receiver during a rookie draft That doesn't mean that you have to accept less than fair market value because you quote unquote need a running back. You still want to get fair market value. And part of that is sending and receiving more than one offer, being the aggressor instead of being passive. It all works together. Things that you've heard us say before, you'll hear us say it again. You're going to hear us say it right now. So shop but don't accept less than fair market value. I'd rather keep a player and then go short at a position until I absolutely really, 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 really need that position. And then, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to finish by saying, and, and then, yeah, I may have to overpay a little bit to get that position, but at least by then, maybe these guys are worth even more. And then I don't have to pay quite as much as what I would have. Yeah, I was thinking back to like three or four tips ago that that uh, we that we were talking about, and you mentioned you know if a deal doesn't feel right, and I I actually thought back to a deal that I believe it's been about six weeks, and the other owner and I have you know we we bannered back and forth, and what happens is when the conversation stalls and it's centered around the same assets, it stalls, they end up sending the same offer they sent originally, and you know and it just. It might be a good deal. It might not. But I just, like you said, I don't feel good about it. Like it may be the right deal, but I can't really validate accepting it on a couple of different levels. And so I haven't pulled the trigger and I won't pull the trigger on that exact deal. I've been pushing for a a different type of package or asset combo. And I'm going to hold firm on that, even though, again, so like you mentioned, you know, working the margins plus 5%, 10%, you know, these types of things. 
But if you just don't have, I think it's like you feel hinky about it, like which means I think kind of awkward or whatever. Like you just don't feel right. And and that's the other thing. If you have a little pause, I've I've messed a couple deals before that, you know, you kind of press, like you've negotiated your way. You're like, all right, this is solid. And, but you still don't feel right about it, whether that's a player you're trading or buying. Like you said, maybe it's not assets that you think this is the right time to kind of do that. And, and all of a sudden you're like, ah, you look back six months later and you're like, that wasn't a good one. And, and yet you had those feelings. Your internal instinct was trying to stop you a little bit. Uh, the next one here, uh, this is from Scotty. I thought this was pretty good. Uh, being afraid I'm uh, settling for less than I could be getting. There's always that feeling of, wait, did I just screw up when someone accepts your offer immediately? And I hear that one a lot. It, come on. You sent the offer because it's one that you want to make. And could you have squeezed... I'm classic grinder. Like, so, you know, I've lost some deals before where I try to squeeze an extra third round rookie pick or second to third or additional add on injury away running back, all these types of things. But when you send the offers out, you're canvassing a little bit. You've sent a few offers, whether it's to one team, five teams, and one of them just gets point blank accepted five minutes later. A, it means they check the email. That's all it means to some extent. B, it means you sent something that was accepted. And it was positive because you sent it proactively. So don't feel bad about that. And thinking you could have squeezed one extra lower level player or some mid-round pick. Yeah, maybe. But that doesn't mean you should be like super upping the ante every single time on every offer. Because if it needs to be timely, if you're looking to sell something specifically, you got to get out there. You got to be reasonable. Even if you're having your 1.0 canvas being on the aggressive side, I mean, come on. Be happy. I know that feeling of missing out on extra value, extra picks, whatever. But you know, don't think that you messed up. You sent you sent the offers out there. They should all be relatively similar. And the one that was accepted, so be it. Thumbs up. Achievement made. Yeah, absolutely. And all leagues are their own economy. So you're not going to get the same results from one league to another. Even though we may talk about players, we may talk about player values. If your league doesn't value that player that same way, you either got to hold them or accept a little bit less. But you have to read the tendencies, read the room. What do the other owners have? Now, if they're tight-fisted and nobody in the league trades and you send out offers and you still can't get it done, then maybe at some point you decide that league just isn't for you. But there are things that you can learn. If somebody smash accepts a trade, learn from it. It doesn't mean it was necessarily a bad deal. An auto accept in one league is a, a decline with the F word used in another league. So don't, right. there's a wide range of outcomes to the same exact offer, depending on who it's going to. Exactly. Uh, another one that I always say uh, when trading studs, don't trade a stud just for rookie picks Unless, and there's, there is an unless, unless you know that it's a banner class and it includes the 101 plus a couple of other firsts that are in the range to get a package of players that you know specifically because you know that class so well. And that's about the only time. Otherwise, you really are going to set your, your team back and potentially lose a lot of value on that stud and maybe even potentially make some of the other owners in the league say, well, 
this person doesn't even know what they're doing and th that makes it no fun. I'm out of here. And then maybe even the league folds. I've seen that happen before. Studs are tough to find. And when you have yeah. them and when you have them know that it typically takes them to win. Uh, is that in the short term, long term? The point is they're hard to find, and that's why you should you should definitely value them and hold them accordingly. Uh, this one is from uh, Ghost of June and kind of follows along with with what you just said, which is always trying to convert players to picks. And I will say that is the easiest way to send offers around your league because everyone has picks to some degree, and I do that a lot in season. Now I do think it's dangerous. There is a fine line we see. Katie, we always talk about the perpetual rebuilders and they chase picks. They chase incoming players, basically, to some degree, unknowns. Unknowns. They have maybe draft capital attached. They have some sort of profile. But NFL production profile is minimal or zero. And that leads to a lotto feel of, of an asset, which is they could be great, but they also maybe are just going to be okay. Maybe they're going to be a bust. And there's a huge chasm there where a mid-career player with a profile of production and you know a resume so far, there's a smaller, tighter range, and especially the floor is a lot higher on a lot of those types of players. So be careful about the perpetual, just all picks, all picks, all picks, because at some point, the picks need to turn into players who are turning into studs, solid players, role players, everything you need to build out a good team. Or you need to turn around later and turn the picks into players in a trade to rebuild uh, and restock your actual player pool. The next one, and I, I cannot overstate this enough, but always, always, always check your scoring, your roster depth, and how many starters at each position before offering or accepting a trade. So for example, if somebody is offering you a five-for-one trade with a bunch of young rookies that you really like, but it's only 22-man roster and you only have to start nine, that's a sucky deal for you. But if it's a five-for-one trade and it's a 35-man roster, you have a taxi squad where you can put some of these guys and you have to start 13, then depending on the player mix, it might be a much better trade for you because then you're getting the depth that you need. So I've seen people where it's point per carry on running back and they don't factor that in when trading a stud running back or it's 1.75 PPR for tight end and start to tight end and they don't factor that in when trading a, a tight end. So you always, especially if you're in more than just a handful of leagues, always double check your settings before making any offers or accepting any offers. Yep. Takes a couple clicks. You go to the league settings. That's it. League setting, league scoring. You should, you should have that on speed dial and know exactly where it is on your platform uh, to find it. If you don't know, that's the thing. I mean, if you only have a few leagues, you may know it by heart and that's great. Uh, or guess what? You could also create a little uh, Word document, little picture on your phone that you wrote out in notebook, something like that. It lists your leagues. It lists the notable changes you know, that are the unique uh, format and settings for those leagues. Uh, from McCheese, it says, uh, taking chances because I love the feeling when it works out. 
So specifically just taking shots, right? So that could be rookies. That could be a lot of times. And, and again, the taking shots part would be you're projecting a breakout. You're projecting one of those upside players. Could be Devi, could be rookie, could be early part of their career, just cresting into maybe a, a breakout and prime period of production. But the point is they haven't done it yet. A, it's risky. B, that is a calling card aspect of how you actually get better a lot of times with a rebuilding scenario, maybe an orphan scenario. You have to take chances and take risks. One thing I will say that is a danger here and a potential suck you in weakness is the addiction to, I want to be the smartest person in the room and I want to say that I was on this player the earliest. And that can get you in trouble. My example is always Jeff Janis of it can take up a roster spot till the end of time uh, on some player that really doesn't deserve it, whether it's the position, the pedigree that's there, just the probability. And keeping that in check for you is really key. But when it works out, obviously it is glorious uh, when you project a player, regardless how much they cost, they end up being a ton better production-wise. Um, that feels great. What I will say is keep it a little bit in check you know, heat check here. You can't really go overboard with the back end of your roster having a ton of these players. You have to blend that together. Um, and again, trying to be, oh, I always think of windows and think, are you really holding this roster spot with no taxi, 25 man spot and on a multi-year position or player developmental curve, let's say, there's a lot of time aspect lost with that roster spot. So just be careful sometimes with these longer trajectory player or profile types of saying, yeah, I'm going to have three or four of those. Yeah, I'm just going to hold them there. Yeah, roster spot 21 through 25. There's going to be pressure starting in August all the way through next rookie draft season. So holding that player, what are you getting back? You got to be a little realistic. And if you miss every once in a while on a player like that, then it's okay because there's a lot of roster value that you were able to utilize on shorter trajectory pop type players. And those are the types of players that offer trades and I call them adrenaline junkies because it's like you're sitting at a poker table. They want to play more hands. They want to play the seven deuce offsuit uh, rather than always pay, uh, playing you know, pocket pairs or something that has a little bit lower risk value. You still even though your odds are increased, it doesn't mean it, even with pocket aces, it doesn't mean you're going to win the hand because poker is unpredictable and there's a lot of factors that can happen. But if you're constantly being the person that's going for the long shot, that more frequently will hurt your roster in the long term rather than help it. Um, here's just a real simple one. We've said it before. Uh, don't accept or, or, uh, reject a trade on your phone. That can get you in big trouble. I had somebody where they did that recently. They didn't even see where it said you accepted this trade. Almost 24 hours later, they wanted to correct it. At that point, I said, wow, it's way too late. The commissioner wasn't going to reverse it back unless had my permission. And if it had been within the first 15 minutes to an hour, I, I would have. But you know, they were putting the pressure on me to reverse it saying, you know, well, you know, I made a mistake. I said, I made a mistake. You're like, outlining well, something pretty common too. I see yeah, this in multiple of my leagues every lot. year. You see this multiple times a year, right? Just in your leagues, right? A misaccepted, didn't mean to do it trade. This happens all the time. Happens all the time. Make sure you go to the platform itself 
Uh, MFL is pretty nice now that they have a are you sure confirmation. Double click. You got to click accept. Then it's going to pop up before you can even click submit. So they have added to that process in recent years. Uh, a while back, it was not like that. So check your platform. Check what that is. And yeah, the whole... You know, didn't mean to make that trade. It bothers me after, even if it's two seconds later. Like I, I can't remember. I think maybe in my whole dynasty career, maybe one time, one time, and I'm sure it was eight, eight, nine years ago or something. I, I, it, I don't, I don't even know if it was a misclick. The point is, it's your responsibility. Make the trade. All right. Uh, next one I have here is uh, buying discount wide receivers, even though I already have eight. And I will say. You know, the, the discounted wide receivers, what I will say is you can also construct trades differently. If you want to get a wide receiver, you, you generally want to be a little more lean and mean. You want some of those rotational spots to be over there at other positions, depending on the format. And so with wide receiver, that alluring upside guy, what I always say is, are they the wide receiver one or wide receiver two for their team? And that's wide receiver twos. It's if they're a good team, good passing team, good quarterback. So be careful. Eight already. Yeah, that's plenty. That is plenty. And I know you can look around and go, oh, well, this guy's a discount. Yeah, but if you keep getting sucked in, this is how you, we see roster out, out there. You got four running backs and 13 wide receivers. I can find one in almost every league I'm in. Be careful because I, I've notated it before. Generally, the more robust you are at running back, you got more cracks at more upside in season and more chances to leverage your league with the, A, your lineup, and be flipping guys in season. So, uh, so yeah, getting sucked into discounted anything, uh, you know, when when you need to have some semblance of balance, and especially getting the allure of the upside wide receiver. Just be careful. My mom used to go to the store. She had coupons and she got stuff on discount. And she would come home and say to stuff dad, "Hey, dad, hey, uh, you know, Archie, I saved over a hundred dollars at the grocery store today." And he goes, "No, honey, you spent two hundred dollars on groceries. You didn't save anything." You spent money today, and Archie so is me. I guess I've said that exact phrase before. It's like it's like no, you spent X amount. You didn't save anything, right? Exactly. So I mean, someone will pay for it. Just because it's a bargain, they they could end up roster cloggers, which most of them do. And then when you do try to sell for a position of need, you already got the discount, and more than likely, unless they've risen in value, you're going to sell them at a discount too. So one that I, I do, and I don't know if you do, Chad, but I, I do look at how each team finished the previous year. And if there's a top three team and they're stacked, I don't trade the same. I don't make the same offers to them. They're going to yeah. pay a little bit more because they've got more depth yeah. and their picks are going to be higher. And therefore, in order for me to recoup, I'm taking the bigger risk. Therefore, I mean, they're a competitor in the league, in the same league that I'm in. So if I'm rebuilding, I don't want to give them too cheap of a bargain on somebody that then they can win two or three more championships before they strip it down and rebuild. By the time that I'm competing, I may still be competing against them. I mean, that's part of it. So the guys that are at the top, Sorry, you get the higher price sticker, but you can also afford it more. Yeah, I find I find when a team declares that they're a rebuilder, especially, or if it's a new team, new owner, um, or they're just making a decision this time of year, in season, whatever, to to say that's it, 
I'm not going to be overly uh, competitive right now. Could be the next few months, could be a year, whatever. Uh, those are the easiest teams to deal with because generally they're trading their productive players, maybe their best players. They want picks. They want maybe possibly what if players. Um, and I find that that's relatively easy. And you know, they're going to make two, three, four deals in the next day or two. And it's going to be a cascade. They're going to make a lot of sweeping changes and you got to be in on that. Uh, so yeah, I find, I find the bottom half of the league, they're willing to take more risk. Um, they're willing to sell players that I'm interested in more. They're more open to all their assets being for sale. And sometimes the more competitive teams are trying to really, you know, hold on to their their core, and rightfully so. They're in their window. They're trying to win, uh, and they have a better chance than a, than half a team. And you start to get that separation in your league. Uh, so yeah, keep that in mind. Um, this is another one. It says definitely around the rookie draft time, uh, you can know what's smart and still get sucked into rookie fever. It happens to the best of us. Absolutely. Um, I, I think honestly, I mean, talking dynasty and talking trading around rookie draft time is, is when you make some money because people are making bets. Um, there's a lot of leverage with the picks, whether you're making them, whether you're trading them. And yeah, getting the rookie fever, specifically trading core players you have, trading into the draft for unknowns and guys that frankly, I mean, yes, they're relatively insulated for the first year or so uh, of their of their career. But uh, the wheels come off in that year too if they stay on a poor track. And all of a sudden that, wow, remember when they were a first-round rookie pick? And uh, it can be tough you know, for a giant swath of first rounds of saying that player is ever worth more than one first-round pick you know, in the future, in their entire career. How many guys truly do you see traded for multiple first-round picks in addition to anything else? So just be careful because... The upside is probably developing a player that you like on your team. You get them for their whole prime window. It maybe isn't necessarily flipping for some giant massive pro uh, profit in the first couple of years. And that goes nicely with my number 11 on my list, which is don't be too quick to trade off rookies or second year players that have a slow start. Park them get bridge players, do whatever you need to do so that you don't have to worry. Why'd you like them? You drafted them because you liked them. You, right, exactly. You scouted them, you drafted them because you liked them. And so during rookie drafts, when rookie fever hits, and what I like to do, if, if I don't like the person or player when I'm on the clock, let's say at 108, if there's an asset or two, like an AJ Dillon and Jalen Rager, where I can get the two of them and I can trade them for the 108, maybe add a third round pick or something, that's better to me rather than yeah. trading back and, and diluting that asset. Now I'm getting two bona fide studs in, in my mind. Now they may still not pan out, but they're two for one is a much better shot of trying than uh, one for one. And you, and you look at the historical curves year one is where, not where a lot of these young players have their best season. So to assume that they are horrible and, but, Year one, yes, it's an indicator. It can put somebody on the on the success track. I will say there's a lot more nuance though on saying a guy is horrible after a down first year. Rager's a pretty specific case. He was injured a little bit. Eagles were a train wreck. I did the same thing. I I got to like two ten in one of my drafts, and I was like, I traded that in like a a mid to late third for Jalen Rager. Uh, I didn't even think of all the offers I sent around for giving two ten. I didn't think that was the one that would be accepted yet. It was, you know, to buy off the discount rack after a, you know, 
auspicious start, you know, in year one. Um, so that's, that's a really good one of shopping just in the player bucket, not necessarily the, I have to take a rookie with said pick. Same thing with Debbie, Debbie picks, you know, you don't have to take a Debbie or take a rookie with, uh, one of your requisite picks there. Uh, this one is, um, off season trading, uh, just to make a trade in season. Uh, I fear that a blow up game is a sign of something to come instead of a current value spike and taking the value while you can. So I think that's something we talk about all the time, every week, basically in season, what players are either going through a rough patch? Like, is this going to be the new norm? Are they dinged up? Is this just going to be a down year? Are things just going awry with that team? And then on the opposite end, what are Fugazis? Who are guys that are just spiking because of usage? This what I always say is: let's wait till the team actually gets to decide on some things. When when a team has free agency and the NFL draft, you find out what they think about a player. James Robinson is a, such a great example from last year. He was worth a mid first round pick. Yes, you were starting him. You were plugging and playing him. I kept saying these guys without pedigree. Everyone's every blue moon they work out. Big picture, they work out Arian Foster style. But uh, so many times I said, let's see what Jacksonville does. They have a ton of cap. They got a ton of picks. What did they do? Let's bring in Carlos Hyde and then let's draft a running back in the first round. Let's do both of those things in the offseason. How does Robinson look now? He actually is a guy that I, I kind of like buying, depending on the price, because he has a profile. You've seen him. He can play. Um, and he's sort of in that injury away. We don't know opportunity-wise what there's going to be. But yeah, I feel like in-season, off-season is two completely different markets. And in-season, frankly, it's a weekly conversation because things are changing. Data points are happening for notably the only time of the year in terms of actual games. Yeah. And again, we're on the same page with a lot of our points and that fits in nicely with one of the biggest trade weaknesses I've seen when I hear people ask me on Twitter for advice and, and things like that is just trading for need at the wrong time of year. We always say draft best player available and trade for need, but trading for need, you don't need a running back right now. You don't start until September. I mean, if you can get a bargain basement, like running back at a decent price, that's different, but I'm talking about trading for studs. So for example, the good time of year to trade rookie picks is during the rookie draft. You get the most hype, the most bang for your buck. Everybody gets rookie fever. Buying a bridge player in the offseason or a super bridge player in the offseason, that's the right time, especially those speculative like A.J. Green, for example. He's now with Kyler Murray. He, You can get him for pennies. People are giving him a away fourth. or cutting yeah. him. And, and so that's just one example. Um, buying studs right before the season starts, especially if you are, you want to try to not get yourself in a position where you have to trade for a stud running back. But if you do, you don't want to do it in the off season. You want to do it as close to the season as possible so that hopefully they are, they're on a healthy run. Uh, buying rookie picks, you want to buy those in season or two seasons out. You want to sell your hype players at any time. Guys that are hype players are guys that you don't believe in, but they're getting the hype, the starting job, the Tajay Sharps that you know are more than likely never going to have more than just the one season or half a season. 
the James Randall's when he was getting the, the starting job for the Cowboys as running back, we knew that wasn't going to last. Just like you just said with James Robinson, if James Robinson wasn't going to win you a championship last year, selling him was the right thing to do. But if he, if you were on a championship run, keeping him was the smarter idea. Well, when you and, get to January, so it, but, but keeping him in the season, you still had opportunities in January, you know, yeah, to, to get out absolutely. there early. The funny part though, is James Robinson. I remember those, those uh, early to mid first and that depending on your format, that might've been the pick to get Travis Etienne uh, funnily, you know, right. in the next off season, you know, or a player of Kyle Pitts's pedigree or, you know, options like that, uh, you know, just with that pick. And, and we were talking about that. I remember it mid season where we say, how much is the next four, six, eight weeks worth to you? Because you're kind of making a deal with the devil, you know, in terms of this is max when you have a running back, that is producing at a high level, has the job unquestioned, and only an injury will derail that in season. That is a player that has a lot of liquidity. You know, there are multiple teams interested in your league. That's the moment. That's your moment. And it really is a gut check in Dynasty on how much you view one player making a difference, how much you view that player affecting this season outcome. Because I always find the interesting thing, and this is more of an in-season thing. I'm out. I'm out of. Uh, there's only one more joking one, which is somebody actually said dynasty trading is my weakness. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but but I will say, like this whole mental exercise of dynasty trading, there's so much to it in terms of like it can tell things about your personality style and, and just things about you. Because are you risk adverse? Are you? Do you have the fear of missing out? Does it just making decisions freeze you? I've talked to people that don't play fantasy football. And when I kind of talk about like, the, I'll bring up a parallel situation because it applies to like trading. And it's just like when people think, you know, what brand of milk to buy or like, you know, you're buying a, a rug or whatever it is, like you think that's like a decision thing. Like they're like, oh, wait, that's a, a team that you have forever. And a trade you make now, it's not just for like the next few weeks, like it's forever. Your ramifications are on you. And I guess maybe if you have like a Wall Street job, like there's some parallels there, you know, of like changing your position or big financial outlays of making long range bets, that that might be a parallel. But just whatever hangups you have, and frankly, what maybe some mechanical things in functioning in your own life that you have, those pause buttons or things that, trip you up. I think there's a lot of parallels to dynasty trading as sort of a macro final point here that that uh, kind of look for those things. Like what are some some things that that you think are are discrepancies for yourself? And those might be parallels that you can kind of work on those two things together with your dynasty trading. Yeah. And uh, it's an ever evolving process. One more that I have, if if you, if you are proactive, like we recommend, and you send out 11 offers, maybe even 22 offers, because you've sculpted them in different ways to give them choices, either option A or option B. If you send out all those offers and somebody counters, be patient. It, you don't have to accept the count, even if the counter's nice. Just let it sit there. You don't have to be in a rush. Let the others... You put those other offers out for a reason. That's what you wanted to get. So rather than settle for the counter, which may be a lot less, a little bit less acceptable, 
within an acceptable range, but let's just see what the others say. If you get five or six declines and you, and then you want to accept the counter before you see the rest of them. Okay. But at least let some more information come in and see what the rest of the league, because you may accept. And then somebody else and you're like, Oh man, I just wasn't home and I would have accepted that trade. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, I think letting things breathe too, uh, that urgency factor, the one asterisk I will put on this, this having a little more patience and urgency thing uh, is going to be know yourself. I've been in situations before you're out and about, you're on your phone, you sent out offers a while ago, but you were back at home. Things were more leisurely, but now, Hey, I'm running errands. I'm taking the kids to soccer. Uh, I've got to head over to work for a little bit after that. Like I'm busy. And it might be rookie draft time. It might be a critical, it's Friday of the regular season, you know? And I just, I'm not going to have time. You start looking at stuff. So know yourself because if you need to uh, just, you know, get something done, hey, I was looking to sell this player. This is good. And, you know, I don't want to hold out. I know myself and they might pull the offer. That's another thing. Like a counter offer or something that's, that's sent to you. That may get, you know, I, I see people pull offers. So who knows? That might last uh, 15 minutes after you see it. And that's it. So the more you twist your mustache about it, it may not be around. Um, so that'll be one thing. If you're a busy person, hey, I check in on my phone every once in a while. Uh, it's not like, you know, I send out offers and I'm going to generally be around and I can sort of massage this for the next four, five, six hours uh, on, a, on a Friday night, Saturday, whatever it is. Know yourself. So I'm going to be one that's a lot more pragmatic. I look at I look at you know trades and you know just generally have access a lot more than people with really busy lives with kids and family and and you know a heavy heavy office job that you know you're not able to be on your phone all the time. All these types of factors. So the last thing I would say is you want to be pragmatic, have a process, have an approach, and always be kind of testing that and saying. Has this been going well? And look at your, we always say, you know, keep a trade trade journal, diary, whatever. Just anything that you're tracking will help over nothing. But always look at that. You know, if, even if it's just a few times a year, kind of look at the trades you've been doing. Are those good? What was the process? What are the ones I lost? Is there any theme there? And then also, again, just kind of know your lifestyle, know your own timing of, hey, I'm, I need to get something done. I, I really need to be a little more, you know, on top of this because in a few hours, uh, you know, I'm pretty much going going to go into a bubble and it's not going to be uh, possible for me. And I might check in, you know, a couple hours before kickoff uh, this coming up Sunday, and that might be the next really time I gauge my league. So, uh, kind of know which bucket you're in because uh, I think that would guide your demand urgency for for trading as well. Yeah, and I've just got one more before final thoughts. Yeah, do it. in a startup. Unless the bylaws say so, your startup trade offers don't have to be two for two or three for three. You can get, you know, especially if you're trading out of the first round, that first round player is a bona fide stud. And trading two players and getting three players in return or three players and a future pick gives you the opportunity to recoup the difference between the stud and what you're getting. If you're trading two for two, you're not going to recoup what you just traded away. So why would you trade that? 
You know, I, I'm so glad you saved that for the last one because that's one of your things. Like you talk about that every startup draft show. Every time we're just kind of talking about, uh, you know, your startup drafts or whatever. I mean, that always comes up for people that they think people get their mind wrapped around. And I think part of that is, you know, in redraft land, there's plenty of formats and, and platforms, I think, that they make it. So you have to be two for two, you know, two for two players. And, and people, I think, think a lot of like, oh, it's a fair trade. When really it's a two for one and one player's thrown in is a lot of the the actual you know construction of that. Um, yeah, what final thoughts do you have, Katie? Uh, it could be okay. not related to trading at all, but it would be good if it's on brand. Yeah, so just my final thoughts are don't be afraid, don't be intimidated. Trading is a skill that can be learned, it can be honed, it takes time, it takes reps. Asking, reaching out and asking people, whether it's me or Chad or whoever on Twitter. Even if you ask a group of, of different people, every league is its own economy. And what we give as an answer, especially if we don't ask you, what are your settings? What are your scoring? How many do you have to start? That changes what the answer will be. So if you don't offer that information to begin with and you just say, hey, I'm loaded at this position and I want to trade these two for this, what do you think? The answer can be completely different if you forgot to say, oh, by the way, it's a 16-team super flex, start two tight end, and you're trading away, you know, TJ Hawkinson in the deal. It's like, uh, yeah, he's not tradable in a 16-team start two tight end. Sorry. (laughs) But just don't be afraid to make mistakes because we all make mistakes. I don't care how many mistakes you make. You're really – you may delay the the rebuilding process to a little bit longer, but hopefully eventually you'll learn enough from it that you will then be able to get back in the, in the mix in the league. Yeah. My last point will be just getting com- more comfortable. And, and I think that's one of the themes we've talked about tonight. One of the themes that if you're not in a bunch of dynasty leagues and you haven't been in a bunch of leagues for a bunch of years, you you building up your own personal sample size is going to be tough. And now you've got some some cheat code ways to do this. There's, uh, I'm sure, things over at, say, DLF or Football Guys has a, a pretty robust dynasty trade forum. So, uh, you know, a trade thread there in the message board that tons of people post. You can go to Assistant Coach, which is, you know, people talking about the trades they've yet to make or things like that. Living vicariously. You can do that with startup drafts to build up your... Uh, build up your sample size. You know, if you only do like one startup draft a year, you got to keep that 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 tool sharp. And so for trading, even if you personally, I'm in, yeah, I'm Chad, I'm in two or three leagues. You know, so I don't make personally make a ton of trades, and it's it, it's taken me forever to build up sending offers, getting super comfortable. So I, what I would say is, in addition to what Katie said, getting advice, bouncing ideas off, having dialogues with others that you trust that you're not right there head to head negotiating with um, is one way. Another way is live vicariously. You can go on Twitter, see some dynasty trade polls, uh, You know, start looking at the comments of those, make some comments, have some conversations, uh, start looking again in completed dynasty trade dialogues where 
you're building up your sample size of, oh, you know, I think that's a sell low on player A, you know, and another one you're like, wow, can't believe, you know, you can get that type of player for trading a first round pick or, you know, you, you start having these reactions and thoughts and you start building it up into the hundreds and doing this on a regular basis, using it as study material, you're going to get more comfortable with A, the market, B, how to create different types of trades with different types of assets. Uh, so again, this is this is a really a bread and butter show. Uh, things are going to start heating up in a few weeks and things are going to start changing. And what that means right now, we're in a static portion. You look around and a lot of people are going to be stuck in one way of valuing players. And in a few weeks, a couple months, things are going to start changing rapidly. And that's when having this acumen and having down your strengths and weaknesses and what you like to do as a dynasty trader is going to be key because ADP, the market, by the time you catch up to it, more games or more data points have happened and it's changing again. And it's every single weekend season. It's even, guess what? We got a preseason. 2021, we got a preseason, baby. So this is, we've, we've got a traditional setup this year. And frankly, a lot of dynasty leagues are going to have one extra week. Even if you have a trade deadline, they should be pushing one week out. So you have one more week of dynasty trading in season as well. So for Katie Flower, she's at FF underscore Skyler 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. Go sign up at UTHDynasty.com. Got a trade calculator, dynasty rankings. I actually just added uh, some clarity, some new columns, new data points there to the UTH Dynasty rankings that you'll enjoy. Uh, again, more transparency of the process and player profiles. And again, all the articles. I'm actually doing a series. Uh, and when you listen to this, the quarterback and running back will be out, which is uh, commandments, dynasty commandments of how to look at the position. This is beyond specific players. It is more about how to approach each position in valuing players, trading for players, managing your roster. Um, so I'm putting a lot of work into that. Tomorrow, I'm going to be pinning the wide receiver and tight end additions, uh, evergreen content, and uh, just did a big series back in the spring as well on dynasty trading in different aspects with team direction, formats, etc. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that. I believe it's in the 20 to 30 or 35 range. Uh, they are numbered for 2021 in terms of the premium podcast series that you can find on any of your podcasting devices. So for Katie, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties.